Our, our mission is to help communities across the country adopt this framework and so um, improve their quality of life by adopting the framework. And we, we were clear, you know, you're helping us learn. We want to learn from you as much as we want to help you learn and help you all learn from each other. And we helped them sort of think about what those concepts are, document them. And that process turned out to be huge in terms of engagement and bringing on other people in your community and just kind of bringing everyone together and, and helping them all kind of look at their community in the same way. And there were all these sort of insights and ahas and, and oh, I didn't realize we, we do this or wow, we could we really could work on this together. And, and we helped them sort of think about what those concepts are, document them. And that process turned out to be huge and that really is just about helping you continue on and start doing um, doing some of that harder work of answering questions about who is your leadership, um, how do they lead your community, how do you do your strategic planning, and then how do you actually implement those plans. Some of these principles, these quality principles of moving from thinking about activities to thinking towards you know outcomes, um, which is to me is huge. Um, and thinking outside of your, your silo or your sector to thinking about the interconnectivity. Welcome to the Improvement Nerds Podcast, where we host conversations about the things that nerd us out with one goal in mind, sharing best practices and sharing techniques and tools that allow us to make lasting change. In each episode, we'll feature a different idea and hopefully through that episode, give you a set of new tools, new skills, and new thinking that'll allow you to change how you do your work, how you lead others, and how you show up in your life. We're so excited that you've chosen to nerd out with us. We hope that these episodes are exactly the things that you need to hear in order to get started in making the improvements that you want to see happen in the world. If these episodes speak to you, please subscribe to our podcast like what we're doing, and leave a comment. Who is, um, who are the real conveners? Like, who are those personalities? There's those people who can really help you get work done. Um, who are the people that you think are going to be sort of early adopters of this kind of a, a concept? Well, when we, we first started this work, we felt like at a minimum, you needed the health sector, you needed leaders from health sector, the education sector, um, economic vitality, so business, if you will, um, jobs, and then safety. And, and really because those are just so interconnected. And if you were gonna try to imagine what a community of excellence looks like, I don't think you could ever leave out Margaret Mead said it best when she shared that one should never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, that it was the only thing that ever had. I couldn't agree more. Let's get busy, Improvement Nerds. We've got a lot of work to do. Hey, Improvement Nerds. This is Tom. I'm back with another episode of the Improvement Nerds podcast. Today, I've got a friend that I can't wait for you guys to meet. It's Stephanie Norling. And Stephanie, uh, her and I, we crossed paths through the Baldridge community. I'd been volunteering locally in the Midwest through the Partnership for Excellence, uh, which is the state of Indiana, Ohio, and West Virginia. And through that program, I fell in love with the mission of the Baldridge program and was asking what else can I get into and 
um, was sent the direction of Stephanie to participate in what's called the Communities of Excellence. So um, as I interacted with her and interacted with the program, I thought, wow, this is super cool. I've got to do an episode showcasing this amazing person in this amazing program. So Stephanie, thank you for joining me and welcome to the show. I hope I said your last name correctly. I think you did, Norling, Stephanie Norling. Sorry, one, that's not that we keep score or anything in podcasts. I always worry that I'm going to misstate someone's last name. No, I think you did perfect. Well, thank you for having me here today. It's a pleasure. I'm excited. Excited to have you as well. So we're going to nerd out, and there's a whole bunch of things I'm sure we can talk about. Um, So we're going to start real slow, and we're going to just start talking about you. So why don't you go ahead and give us your introduction? Um, All right. Well, um, again, Stephanie Norling, I'm the Director of Communities of Excellence 2026. Um, We are a nonprofit organization, and um, we're based on um, adapting the Baldridge framework to apply to an entire community. Um, I've been in this role for about five years now, basically um, from its conception, (laughs) which has been a very exciting, um, fun, and at times stressful experience to take a take an idea and turn it into um, a national movement, which is not kind of what it's starting to feel like. Yeah, um, I i can't wait to get to hear the stories that you've seen along the way of the growth that you're experiencing and the tremendous momentum that's occurring as part of this program in helping communities become vibrant. And we'll, we'll dive deep into, you know, we can't, I know we probably can't talk too much about specific communities and strategies for proprietary reasons, but maybe there's some things we can highlight to safeguard proprietariness, but still give some cool examples of what this looks like from a community, a self-identified community of people working together to execute strategy and drive outcomes for their defined community. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm going to now move us to the the one question that's kind of stage setting, which is what are we going to nerd out about today? So what nerds you out? <laughs> um, well, I'm definitely an improvement nerd. So that's one of the reasons this was very exciting to me. Um, systems thinking, <laughs> improving processes have nerded me out since I was a, a young, young person. Um, I'm extremely organized. And so um all of this appealed to me and one of the reasons that I wanted to be involved with communities of excellence. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yes. Systems thinking uh, is probably one of the easiest and most straightforward way to explain what the Baldridge program is and what the communities of excellence program is, is all about systems thinking, long-term thinking, integrative thinking, you can switch whatever words you want in and out of it, but it's trying to understand the big picture and be very coordinated as a group or an organization in getting there and learning as you go. So very adaptive. Uh, I'm sure organizations will that you've seen and supported along the way, they'll tell you it's it's not a straight line. It's, you know, get a heading, start walking that way and figure it out along the way and just always be open to learning and continuously improving. Absolutely. You're, you're taking something very, very complex and just trying to find a simple path forward with it, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, that keep it simple, stupid. Principle. <laughs> so kiss. So yep. 
Yeah. How, how did you discover this program? How did you get involved with the Communities of Excellence? So what was your journey to get to where you are today? Well, um, I'll start back. Um, I My undergraduate degree is in anthropology. I was always very interested in you know, culture and evolution and, and, and humanity, basically. Um, my first job out of college was with the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, which is a healthcare quality improvement organization. And um, probably one of the best things I ever could have done for my career, because not only was it just... Um, I, I was just able to learn about quality and about these things that typically when you're 22, you're not exposed to right away. But I also worked in one of the most incredible cultures and, and it was a culture of transparency. And um, I learned values of, of being really open and honest. And if you make a mistake, that's an opportunity to figure out how to improve, um, which is not typical. I learned later as I kept going through my career. So I'm just, I'm, I feel like such a, such a privilege to have started out that way. Um, but then after a couple of years, my family lives here in San Diego, which is where I now live. And um, I used to go visit them. And one day just kind of thought, why am I visiting this amazing place? <laughs> Maybe I should live here. So I moved out to San Diego in my early 20s. And as a, um, as when I was younger, I, I wanted to work with animals. That was my passion. That was, you know, everything I cared about. And so my first job here in San Diego was at the San Diego uh, Safari Park, which is the sister organization to the San Diego Zoo. So they're the same organization. Um, and I got a position in operations because I was um, at IHI. I had a knack for writing all of their standard operating procedures. <laughs> um, I don't know why I liked it and I was very good at it. And so um, that's actually what kind of interested them in me. And I worked there for a couple of years and the, the, the office next to mine was the elephant manager the manager of the elephant department. And I would hear him cursing all the time because he just couldn't stand Excel or <laughs> Microsoft. And, and so one day I said, you know, I've got some extra time. I can help you. And I started helping him do things. And one day I said, you know, I've always wanted to work with animals. And he said, oh, great. And they, they have a loan program there. So they can, if a, pro, if a department, an animal care department needs some extra assistance, it's basically just doing labor, manual labor they can take on other people for one to two months and you don't handle animals. You just clean and you clean and you clean and you clean. <laughs> and so, um, I did that for two months and then I did that for five months and then I did that for three more months. And then I finally got hired into the elephant program, which was exciting. Um, it was my dream and I, I had very little experience, you know, with it. So it was just kind of an amazing journey to get there and ended up doing that for about 10 years, um, eventually taking a lead role in the program. And um, after a period of time, it's a, it's a very physically um, kind of rigorous position. I decided to go back to school um, and went back and got an MBA and a nonprofit management degree. And was for a time um, still working with the elephants, but just trying to build up more of a, um, a, a career somewhere, getting some more experience in things that, you know, were business and nonprofit related. And this position, this, um, this idea of communities of excellence came up and it actually came about um, from the experience of um, two people who were both former healthcare CEOs, one of whom is my father who um, ran Premier which received the Baldridge National Quality Award in the 2000s. The other was Lowell Cruz, 
who is the CEO of Heartland Health, which received the Baldrige Award in the 2000s. And, and they were just having a conversation about basically their concerns for a lot of the indicators in our country that we all see are just not going in the right direction. And, and the fact that there is so much money and so much time and so much effort being put, really good effort, good programs being put into trying to solve these problems, but there's still a disconnect. Um, and so it was this early conversation that sparked that. And so as I was going through this experience of trying to figure out what my next career is and volunteering here, there, and everywhere and, and um, doing things, they started talking about this. Um, and I attended this convening meeting that they had in St. Joseph, Missouri. This is in 2013. And back when this was just still an idea, it was just a conversation about could Baldridge be adapted to communities to try to fill that gap of their great work going on and the, the disconnect of getting the results. Um, and I, it was a very, I just really enjoyed it. I hit it off with the people that were working on it at the point and they asked me to join. Um, and from there, it really took a couple years of us just going, okay, so we're, we're getting validation that this is a good idea. Doesn't mean we have any idea how to make it happen. Um, and that took a while. You know, we had a board. We worked on a, a criteria that was adapted. We didn't want to just take strict Baldridge language because there are so many there are so many differences that you have to think about. Uh, so we worked with a team from the Baldridge program, from some various um, various leaders in public health, in other um, state Baldridge programs. Um, I gosh, that we had a number of people that that gave us input into this. Got a set of criteria and said, okay, so now we're going to test this out. Um, found two willing um, participants, Northwest Missouri, which is where Lola's from. And then interestingly, and very coincidentally, San Diego County. <laughs> um, and not because of anything I did, I'd love to say it was, but it was actually a connection um, through Tyler Norris, who was at the time with the Kaiser Foundation, who said, you know, you know, the guy running health and human services in San Diego is pretty amazing. You might want to talk to him. And so, you know, we went in there thinking, we're going to have to sell this. I've got PowerPoints and I'm planning everything. And we walk in and he says, he says, oh, yeah, I love Baldridge. And, um, and he said, you want to do that in a community? And we said, yes. And he said, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and to the day, they're still one of our, you know, they're still with us and um, absolutely doing amazing work. So it's been really exciting. So that was a long answer, but. Um, Working at IHI, um, which in, in the, at least in my world has a black belt, the uh, quality improvement effort and movement, uh, you can't talk about that without talking about Don Berwick and right. his 100,000 Lives campaign, which evolved and matured and eventually became millions of Lives campaigns. And really, it was the initial opening of the door and disclosure of data that preventable patient harm was occurring within hospitals and change was needed. And he and that organization became a thought leader in ways that care could be advanced. Uh, so over the last, oh, I don't know, seven years, every curriculum I designed and every person I met, the slide deck would reference to Air as Human and talk about the, where the movement started. And you know, in some ways I used it as a call to action because not that much progress has been made. There's acute awareness that 
we have opportunities, hospitals and even public health, um, but you know we're not being successful in improving outcomes or reducing costs. So there's still a lot of improvement to be made. So I always kind of put it on the belts in the room to say, you are part of this movement now too. You have the skills to make and lead change. And I hope that you take that seriously to, to serve others and to serve patients. So I'm sure that left a lot of impressions on you. And I don't know if you've seen what uh, IHI has recently published, um, but they wrote a white paper on joy at work, which mm-hmm. focuses on um, burnout and depersonalization as one of the leading causes of harm um, because the amount of work and complexity that the caregivers are having to deal with day in and day out, they're simply fatigued and, you know, um, the processes are poorly designed and, and sometimes working against the person instead of for the person. And, you know, the day in and day out, that, that wears a person down and eventually yeah. that, that individual becomes susceptible to burnout. And, you know, because they don't have um, stability and safety for themselves, how could you ever expect someone in that situation to give safety to someone else? Uh, so the, they've done it again. They've, they've, raise the flag and they say, or they put up the big giant blinking neon arrow that points, hey, we've got an issue here. And they talk a little bit about ideas for improvement and they come forward with, you know, some framework that people can follow to make progress. But I've always um, really uh, just been thankful that in my career, I've been able to kind of look up to role models like that, that aren't, aren't, you know, putting things under the rug, but they're bringing it out in the open to say like, this wasn't intentional. No one wanted this to happen. It simply happened because we haven't thought things all the way through and everything we're doing in large part has just occurred organically. Like we didn't intentionally design these things. And because of that, these processes have breakdowns and, and um, are having unintended consequences. So we have to study these processes, we have to improve and we have to apply systems thinking. So I'm sure systems thinking was right then and there, right in front of you and um, how cool. And then you go from that and you start to work in um, recreational industry within your local community. So here, I've heard wonderful things about the San Diego Zoo and I live in Indianapolis and the Indianapolis Zoo is, foundational that it brings in tourism and it it drives volunteerism and it hosts uh, events for philanthropy so you know it's a an important institution within our city and i imagine where you or you saw those activities too so this concept of giving and serving definitely was present in your role as someone who was caring for the elephant Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're a major employer here. They're a major source of pride in San Diego. Um, it was, it was a wonderful place to work. Um, the working with the elephants specifically was an interesting sort of exercise in systems thinking too, though, because you have, I like to now try to think back to that and try to apply a Baldur's framework to it. And sometimes I think about who my customers were, if they were the elephants or if they were the tourists. But um, you had all of these pieces and parts of every data managed their healthcare, 
um, enrichment, um, feeding cycles, the tourist entertainment, cleaning. And um, it was not easy. And, and it, you know, applying some process management to some of the things we did was very helpful. <laughs> and so it's kind of fun in that way to think about. That is. That's very nerdy of you because a lot of individuals who hear process improvement, they're like, no, that doesn't apply to me. It doesn't, it's not relevant to my sector or to the role I play. No, processes, well-designed processes that understand your customer's requirements and seeks to meet them in some ways exceed them, but not um, cause sub-optimization such as burnout, fatigue, or unattended consequences elsewhere. Like process is important everywhere. And I love that you just gave an example of how processes were important to caring for the elephants and beyond the elephants were caring for the families and the individuals who came to visit those elephants. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. So then beyond that, it sounds like relationships uh, are something that have been important to you. And along the way, you've been growing your network and you've been part of a, a, a network of people who believed in change and wanted to see it happen. And that's a great group of people to surround yourself with. So you, I think you put yourself in the position to move out into this pilot of communities of excellence. And it, it's, it's beyond the pilot phase now, right? So the, the first pilot site sounds like was in Minnesota and then San Diego County. Northwest Missouri and San Diego County. Um, And that was really an exploratory period of of just kind of working with those communities to figure out how are we going to do this in a community. There wasn't a lot of activity. It was really a lot more conversations and meetings and and saying, does this apply to you? Does this make sense? How would you start this Um, into very, very different settings? Um, San Diego County being, I think we're about 5 million people. Um, and then Northwest Missouri, which is about 250,000, I believe, and even large 18 counties. Mm-hmm. So, it, different size, but also different challenges. Very different challenges. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so that was one of our big questions. You know, one of the key components of the Baldrige criteria is that it's applicable to any organization, large or small. And so we believed that was the case with our criteria. We, we knew it was important that that was the case because we want to honor and respect the kind of uniqueness of every community that we work with and the unique challenges that they'll have. And so we saw that. We saw that both of, the, both of these areas were finding value in thinking about these questions about how they lead their community and, and how they, they come up with strategy and what they measure and how they align their resources. Um, so, yeah, that was an interesting phase of just trying to figure out how do we get this moving <laughs> and how do we raise the funds to do it? Because it's it's a challenging concept to explain, especially as we're still learning how to explain it. We're still trying to explain Baldridge and then explain what it means in a community. And so it was hard. It was definitely hard. Sure, there's been several cycles of learning um, and sure early on, you know, the key stakeholders that were at the table wasn't always the right group. So you've probably seen evolution in regards to ownership. So talk to us a little bit about who from a community perspective t- 
tends to get involved in these initiatives. So I don't think there's probably uh, an exact recipe, but maybe like an overview for the listeners to, to think, oh my gosh, okay, a community and leaders within a community can include these groups or these roles. So who do you tend to see get involved in these communities of excellence? Well, when we, we first started this work, we felt like at a minimum, you needed the health sector, you needed leaders from health sector, the education sector, um, economic vitality, so business, if you will, um, jobs, and then safety. And, and really because those are just so interconnected. And if you were going to try to imagine what a community of excellence looks like, I don't think you could ever leave out any of those. Um, and so, and so that wasn't just a strict limitation. Um, for instance, here in San Diego and North County, it's um, everything is so spread apart and transportation is one of the major issues that they have there. You could never address their issues there without having the transportation um, sector involved. So it's not just, you know, there are plenty of sectors, but I think we start there. And then um, the other guidance that we give is, is kind of, you know, based on your community, um, who, who is, um, who are the real conveners? Like who are those personalities? There's those people who can really help you get work done. Um, who are the people that you think are going to be sort of early adopters of this kind of a, a concept? And so it's a, it's a, um, the conversation ends up a little different in every community and the people that approach us are different in every community. Um, but one of the areas that we've seen the most traction is healthcare. Um, followed probably by public health. And I think that, 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 I mean, I think intuitively that makes sense because um, healthcare, you know, even just our conversation about IHI there, I think early on, they were one of the first areas to sort of, you know, talk about the social determinants of health, um, that your, the healthcare you receive in your hospital depends a lot on, you know, your, your educational attainment and your work, your jobs, and, you know, everything is so interconnected. So we really had a lot of early traction in, in healthcare, um, public health, and then recently a lot more interest from um, economic development agencies and uh, chambers um, and organizations like that. And one of the things that we're really seeing is that the, the people that initially started getting involved with us would tend to come from um, kind of healthcare collaboratives or health-focused coalitions and what many of them are now doing is is to help advance the health of their community, um, working on economic issues, because it's just so critical to the success of the community. Um, but then that doesn't, to, that's not to say there aren't, um, we, you know, other really key sectors. So for instance, um, in Mahoning Valley um, in Ohio, the organization that leads their effort there is um, the university. Um, so, so that's kind of interesting, um, in St. Louis County, it's the department of revenue, the County department of revenue, um, because they touch all pieces, all, all parts of the County. They interact with all organizations across the County. So there's sort of a connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been really interesting. And I think just to bring out a, a, a question of the criteria is defining your leadership team. Mm-hmm. That's an that's in ensuring that your leadership team is passionate about the work at hand. And so that's a lot of where a lot of change starts is with the people, the, mm-hmm. the individuals who are willing and capable of leading 
whatever endeavor is about to unfold. So these communities, I know being an examiner myself, that is one of the questions they get asked is who is your leadership team? Yep. So yep. It's, thanks for sharing a little bit with about who we tend to see as leaders in these community transformation efforts who are becoming these communities of excellence. So you shared early journey, uh, a change in stakeholders, change in roles, and now you're seeing growth in communities getting involved. So um, I've watched the website over time and I've seen cohorts come into the fold about every two years. I don't know if that's accurate, but this is what I'm observing from the outside. So you continue to add communities Mm -hmm. and those communities continue to add value to the program and grow it and evolve it. So what is that still your approach is to cohort communities? It is. Um, after, you know, we observed those initial two communities, um, the discussion was kind of, you know, where do we take this? Our, our mission is to help communities across the country adopt this framework and so um, improve their quality of life by adopting the framework. And so we wanted to be able to expand to get to as many communities as we could. So we started um, a national learning collaborative um, modeled after much of the work I learned at IHI. So, which, you know, again, very helpful <laughs> early experience. So much uh, in your name on a piece of paper committing, <laughs> right? That, that was probably something I, I'm sure that's in your bag of tricks is I yeah to do this please sign here and individuals take it seriously that collaborative i'm i'm willingly join this group of people to advance this initiative and you, here's my name on this paper saying i'm invested absolutely and and something we were very clear on especially with our first group of six communities that joined because now when i reflect back i just i don't think i can thank them enough for taking a chance on us um and we, we were clear you know you're helping us learn. We want to learn from you as much as we want to help you learn and help you all learn from each other. Um, and that's what it was. You know, we had, I had a, a group of volunteer faculty and we basically talked about, um, okay, how are we going to introduce this to communities? We started with an in-person kickoff conference where we brought them all together. And then we also had them attend the Baldridge Ball Conference um, the next day. And then the rest of the year was online curriculum. And we just basically introduced the concepts of um, how would you get started doing this in a community? Uh, Similar in an organization, you would start with your organizational profile of kind of who you are and what's important and where you want to go. What are sort of the critical factors about your organization? That's what we did for community. And we helped them sort of think about what those concepts are, document them. And that process turned out to be huge in terms of engagement and bringing on other people in your community and just kind of bringing everyone together and and helping them all kind of look at their community in the same way. And there were all these sort of insights and ahas and, and, oh, I didn't realize we, we do this or wow, we could, we really could work on this together. And, oh, you want my view. And and it just really start help, help start to coalesce what these leadership teams and groups could look like and where they could go together, sort of how much stronger they would be together. Um, And it also helped, one of the things that we, people said early on is just having this kind of roadmap of of here's here's what we're gonna do. And then, you know, just kind of, (laughs) here's how we're gonna advance and make sure that things keep working um, was a really big deal. And so that was our first year. We're in 
about halfway through our third year now. So in our second year, we brought on six more communities. This past October, we brought on six more. So we currently have 18 that are involved and we are looking for six more to join us this coming upcoming October. Um, so we plan to keep this model going because we're seeing it's really, it's very valuable and it's, we're just trying to teach their leaders how to then go back and keep doing this work in their community. Um, we want it ultimately to kind of continue on forever. So we will have be um, developing a membership kind of program this year for our first graduating class. So this is the end of this year will be the first time that we've actually gone through all, uh, three years, what we envision to be a three-year curriculum experience. So pretty exciting. This is, this is a big deal, I think, right now. It's, it is. And I love to see fun. growth. And I love to see each organization helping one another in kind of coming together and comparing notes and saying, how are you doing this? Here's how we got data on this. And that best practice sharing is really what drew me to Baldridge was these organizations that are uh, the best, you know, getting this level of recognition is not easy and they do it. And there's, they're committing to share um, transparently how in some ways, and they're, they're doing it to uh, elevate everyone. And it's so cool to get to, see these organizations share their best practices. So, and now we're seeing communities follow in that light of here's our best practices and full disclosure, we hope you can adopt them and apply them to your community to improve the outcomes you want to achieve for the individuals that you represent. And yeah. I'm sure you're seeing improved. They, do. they share so generously with each other. It's just, it's wonderful to see. And I mean, it's, you know, you, you'll see a coalition or a collaborative in one community that maybe has been around for a really long time. So for instance, with us, Kanawha County in West Virginia has a health coalition that's been around for 25 years. They have some really good stuff that they figured out <laughs> um, and how, how they manage the coalition and the members. They have guiding principles. And they shared that all so generously with our communities and many of them modeled some of their early, you know, efforts to bring people together and, and sort of talk about how are we going to work and lead together, they would use those as a model. Um, and then likewise, another community developed a really impressive community strategic planning process. And um, that incorporated the voices of um, almost 30 organizations in the community and it was very systematic and it was, um, it was just a wonderful experience to go through. They shared that with everybody. And many of our communities then sort of took that and said, you know what, this is how I think this will apply to us. So um, it's been, and then just down to smaller survey, you know, just any kind of anything across the board, they're so generous about, and they want to be sharing with each other and learning from each other. So I love that in some ways, the reason they enroll is so that they can give like, and, and I think that aligns with the, a lot of people's mindset right now is, if I can give more, I know I'll get. And uh, these communities that are coming together, they, they're they there to serve their communities. And through that, they're, you know, discovering things and learning things that they could take and share with others and know that their, their reach is much further than just the people in the, the territory they defined as their community. And um, I think, some of the things as an examiner I saw that I thought was really cool was that 
the best practice sharing, the leadership, the designing of a strategy. And so each of these communities, they're taking like baby steps towards maturing. Yes. Those things are kind of early journey type activities is learning to work together. Late journey activities are measuring progress. And uh, I was fortunate to be on a team that saw one of the organizations that was moving to that level within your program that they were starting to look and measure their outcomes. So I'm curious, has the organizations get to that level of maturity? Uh, Walk us through the maturity levels. I think there's like committed or partner. There's like words you use to describe the journey that they're embarking on and they can pick and choose how aggressive they want to be. So clarify that for us. And then maybe one of those that is really mature, share with us some of the outcomes you've seen them achieve. Sure, absolutely. Um, and but let me let me take a quick step back to just to add a little more context. Um, one of the things that's been very interesting about this and, and the complexity of community is that they're all starting with us at different places. So I mentioned, you know, we had a coalition in Kanawha County that's been around for 25 years. And it's a health, you know, the, the members of it were primarily from healthcare or health focused. Um, another community in that same cohort had no pre-existing coalition in place or collaborative in place, but they had commitment from the city, um, the mayor and the city manager. They had commitment from the CEO of the major hospital. They had um, commitment from um, someone very high up in the school, public school system. And so they had the right players. Um, But so take those sort of two extremes and they're both learning and sharing at the same time. And they end up being more mature in different places because of that in different areas. Um, Or we might have one that has a really great um, collaborative spirit. So the organizations in the community are really used to coming together and they share and they, they, um, they work together, but they've never really um, been quite as, as directed and systematic and focused on um, getting the results, sort of, you know, doing that process of looking at, you know, what, do, what is the data saying this community needs? Um, are, we, are we going after those things? Are we, are we identifying kind of the, the areas that, that the residents really need help in and systematically targeting those? And, and so in those kind of places, you'll see a lot of incredible work, but you'll see a lot more duplication maybe of efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's just an opportunity there to just get more impact. So everyone is in a different place, which is really an interesting way to start. It helps everyone learn from each other. <laughs> um, so for us, um, we, similar to Baldridge program, we have a recognition program, an assessment program. And we start out um, because we recognize if you think about an organization, you have a CEO or, you know, a leader of some sort, and they say, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to adopt this framework, and we're in, they appoint groups to it. It doesn't work like that in a community. Um, most, many of the people are volunteers. Um, if it, maybe their organization does pay for their time to do this, they still have to find time to do it on top of their regular jobs. Um, this is hard work, and so it moves a lot slower. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's important to recognize. Um, it doesn't mean there's still not huge value in it. Um, so our first level is called a commitment level. And it's basically just that the community submits their responses to their community profile questions. Um, and what we do is we don't tell them these are right or wrong answers. They're, they're all right answers. You know, this is your community. It's how you've defined it. But we help them think about um, maybe gaps 
things that they might have missed. So, so for instance, if they talk about um, a strategic challenge, maybe in um, in um, a large homeless population, but then early, you know, if we ask them a question about, you know, what groups are represented in your leadership team, and you don't see anyone who's representing the voice of the homeless, then there's a gap for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really about making sure the information um, that you've got this very holistic kind of um, profile, if you will, of your community. Um, from there into the second year, you then move into the journey to community excellence. And that really is just about helping you continue on and start doing um, doing some of that harder work of answering questions about who is your leadership, um, how do they lead your community, how do you do your strategic planning, and then how do you actually implement those plans. Um, and that's a lot to do in a year. And so um, that really, it really, that's really a journey phase because oftentimes they're not they're just thinking about and kind of working that out and bringing everyone together to really start on that planning um, together. Usually um, by our second year, our communities, you know, they've agreed on a shared vision. They'll have some kind of coalesced um, collaborative leadership structure and system in place in their community. They'll be undergoing strategic planning. Oftentimes um, we'll see work groups or task forces come together around what they've identified are, as are the key issues in their community. But typically by this point, um, you won't see as many measures, metrics in place, um, and you won't see sort of those longer term outcomes being affected at this point. But you will see um, some of these principles, these quality principles of moving from thinking about activities to thinking towards, you know, outcomes, um, which is to me is huge. Um, And thinking outside of your, your silo or your sector to thinking about the interconnectivity you really see a lot of growth in that. And I think in the second year, and then for us in the third year, um, it's called the community of excellence recognition. And we, um, it's basically looking at all the seven categories of the communities of excellence criteria. And so now you're really, you're really looking at the alignment of um, here's what we said was important to us. Um, Here's the strategy we laid out. Here are the results that we're starting to report are these things aligning and are they still the right things to be doing? Um, do we have the right people on board to be getting them done? And are we really communicating this well to our residents? Um, so, and then our idea, you know, you could just keep doing this for years and years and years and keep getting more feedback and just helpful, helpful opportunities to improve. So. And some of those organizations, the the communities that are making progress, what what are some of the outcomes that you see that maybe we can pull out without defining who that organization is, um, that we could pull out to say this this is one of the wins, one of the measurable wins that we've seen um, move and become better as a result of this this type of work. Absolutely, and I'm. Um... You know, because they're communities, we, um, we're pretty comfortable being transparent and sort of sharing their journeys because they have to be able to share it with their residents. So unless you're going to keep all the residents, convince all the residents of a town to keep it a secret, it's not going to work. Um, I like to talk about San Diego County South region because when I live in this area, and so I have the pleasure, honestly, the honor of being able to attend their sessions and being, be able to be involved in the work that they're doing here. And so they were also part, like I said, of that original group. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, I'm so proud of being able to watch and I, I can more easily share their journey because I feel more a part of it here. Um, 
but they, um, when they started out, they had an existing, um, group. It was called the South region leadership team. Um, the South region of San Diego is about 500,000 people and, um, incredible collaboration already. I mean, I mean, just the spirit and the way that they work together, um, in that region was already really impressive. Um, but there wasn't a lot of, um, there wasn't as much structure. Um, there wasn't basically, I think the kind of things that the criteria would add, um, plans for sustainability, um, a lot of metrics and sort of, um, you know, information around their results and around the kind of things that they're really after and then coordination and kind of matching that to what the data said about the, um, the community itself, the region itself. And so in their early work and their community profile work, um, it really, it really helped them bring in more voices into the work that they were doing. Um, one of the first things that they did is they did kind of an environmental scan of the region and they did just very basic data um, on San Diego South region, you know, five years ago and today mm-hmm. and some of the changes and then projected and some of the changes that they saw were kind of shocking to everybody. So the, the number of seniors, the amount that that had grown in the last five years, I, it was kind of surprising to everybody. And then you looked around that room and you said, well, there's no one here representing senior populations. And so there were a lot of those aha moments of, of them saying, we need these people involved and we need these people involved. And, and then they asked them, each organization, to bring in kind of their own sort of what are the what are the things that you work on? What's the key data that you have available? And so sort of did these like mini scans. And they all presented and then they, they sort of said, OK, so what? Based on what we know here, based on what the data is telling us, what are the key issues that are really emerging? And what emerged was very different in some cases, not in all the cases, but in some cases from what they were working on in the past. And so um, their work groups sort of changed form and they developed a brand new work group around economic vitality. And now all of a sudden they they had this whole new group of people that was involved in doing work um, with them. And while all of that was happening, they were also kind of developing more processes around their leadership team and kind of how they communicate, how they come together, what the structure is. Um, If you're a new partner organization coming into this, how does that happen? They created onboarding documents and kind of governance, and it just made everything a lot easier. So, So I'm much more inclined to be involved because I clearly understand my role, my responsibilities, and... I know what you expect of me too. And so a lot of those things um, were going on that hadn't really been done in that way before. And it just, it just sort of solidifies and really strengthens the collaboration and strengthens the effectiveness and the the speed at which they could get work done now. Um, So that was going on. They also started um, talking about the fact that everyone in this region all these organizations are doing their, their own surveys, right? So if you're um, a certain kind of, you know, you, you have these questions that you ask residents, you have questions. Oftentimes everybody's asking very similar questions. And then you started talking about sort of this duplication of efforts things and you start seeing these opportunities of, hey, we could, um, you know, maybe there's a way that we could kind of identify these areas where there's duplication, streamline this process mm-hmm. and save everyone time, save everyone money, save everyone effort. So, um, so they ended up actually getting, um, I don't remember all the details of this, but they're working with some students, some grad students um, at a local university to help them kind of design and figure out the, how to um, kind of streamline this process. 
And then while all that's going on, their work groups are now using um, all the tools that we know and love <laughs> to design strategies with objectives and action plans and short-term and long-term goals. And, and they're monitoring, you know, they're, they're monitoring their progress. And, and many of the things that you're, you don't just typically see as often in this kind of work. And um, they're, they're going through these sort of mini within the, um, for instance, chronic health, chronic disease work group, they are, they're going through a mini kind of scan of saying, who, what's everyone working on in this area? Where are their gaps? Like where are there things that aren't being addressed that the data is saying is really important? And up comes um, smoking cessation as something that, gosh, if you could just, you know, address this, like, I don't remember the numbers, but, you know, the number of lives they could save is huge by reducing the number of people who smoke and vape. And so then they start, they started in and they now have um, this incredible comprehensive plan and they have um, a number of organizations working on it to address um, smoking cessation through city policy, through um, healthcare, and then through schools um, and just doing amazing work. And so, you know, right now, a lot of the results are, are more activity focused and trainings um, but people are coming together. The work is coordinated. Um, they're measuring what they're doing. So they have ways of telling, you know, what's working and what, what maybe they need to retool. And then the uh, economic vitality work group, which was the one that was brand new, they came together. And um, when you look at the region, it's kind of overwhelming. Economic vitality is a very <laughs> big, big thing. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. But they also, from you know, through the data and through their own experiences, um, saw an opportunity to help un- and underemployed youth um, with job readiness and career training. So they started a pilot program, and they um, brought in, I think it was about 20 youth. And last summer, they did this career training program. They arranged internships for all of them. They helped with resume writing, bank accounts, kind of all of these really important things to get you job ready. Mm -hmm. And um, they did that over a summer with zero extra dollars. Wow. Yeah, it was just, I mean, not just, it was a really hard work, but it was um, relationships that they had leveraged. It was just using the organizations involved. Um, and so now they're planning to du duplicate it um, and they're able to use that experience to apply for funding. And um, so Obviously, COVID um, and the events that over the last few months have, have really sort of changed how our communities are focusing their work right now. Um, but that's, that's just um, that's just some I'm, I'm just really proud of them and, and of all the communities. All the communities are doing amazing work. I just happen to live here. So I, I go to their meetings and I know a lot more of the detail of yeah. what they do. And that is. I think a lot of organizations, they think outcomes is like, what's the trend line or what's the data? Outcomes are um, oftentimes critical activities that are occurring. So Baldridge evaluates, do you have an approach? Has that approach been deployed? Has it benefited from cycles of learning? And is it integrated? So if organizations never worked together, um, has a, co a collating representative of a community and they start to meet, that's measurable improvement. So mm -hmm. it didn't exist before and now it exists after, that's improvement. And I just think organizations that were on this journey before COVID-19 have been better positioned during COVID-19 because they have worked together before. 
they know how to communicate, they know how to convene and decide and delegate and track activity because they have done it before. Whereas other communities hadn't had those experiences. So they had to learn how to do those things in the middle of a crisis. And that's the worst time to be figuring things out. It really is. And, and that's absolutely what we're, we've been seeing is that the communities, the communication channels that they had in place because of the, because of communities of excellence proved invaluable when COVID happened. So they were able to leverage those and the relationships that they built and those, those kind of things that they already had going. So, yeah, it's been really, it's been really great to see. It has. I'm um, sure we'll see in this next cycle a focus on crisis management or um, because take, take um, recent events here in my, in my area, um, there was a school shooting and the, you know, with that's happened in communities across the entire nation. And um, we didn't really have an action plan in place of what to do and how to respond in a situation like that. So, you know, now we do, but I, I was on a team that examined another county that had that event happen as well. And they had a community action plan for that incident. And I'm, you know, so there, this, this crisis is definitely challenging, but there's other things that are going to happen that challenge communities to communicate and to work together and to collaborate and to coordinate who's doing what and when. And you want to be thinking about those things before a crisis or a major event happens. So I, I think the organizations that you're working with, they're out ahead of the curve and we need them to, you know, kind of role model. Here's how we did it. And here's how things went for us during COVID-19. And here's some things that maybe you guys can adopt. I think it would be a great way for them to share outside of their coalition and into the greater healthcare communities. So I imagine we'll see something like that from these groups. I think so. You know, what was interesting is, so every year, based on kind of our experience with the communities, we've been um, updating our criteria because um, we, we learn a lot every year. And this year's revision, we started back in October. We actually started it with a focus group of, of the leaders. And um, the two things that were added this year, well, not added, but that we placed more emphasis on were resilience and equity. Hmm. And um, yeah. So that's very timely, but I mean, and there's still a lot more that, that I think we can do and, and we can kind of through this experience learn from and just make the criteria even richer. But, um, you know, I think a huge part of this is us learning from them um, and their experiences and, and, and us being able to just kind of make this, this framework something that is truly applicable to you know, not just all of these, you know, situations, but, but is really representing all people and all voices as well. Um, I think that's been a really, it's been a really important part of it too. Yeah, definitely a unifying activity. Mm -hmm. And I hope in spotlighting this program, especially with what we've experienced as a country with COVID-19 and then raised concerns about equity and how do we address these things? 
I think the, the community of excellence program is a framework that could be very useful in going forward. And I've seen a lot of talk and people saying, well, this is the new normal. And there's a lot of conversation about that. And I've recently seen something I really think is cool is let's create a better normal. And this is, you know, uh, a lot of things have been shaken up and uh, a lot of things that worked for us in the past aren't working now. And maybe we thought they were working back in the past, but we just didn't weren't acutely aware of it. So in some ways, like the slate has been somewhat erased and this is an opportunity to redesign and innovate and go forward. And I think a framework like this could help organizations who in the, in the wake of this say, oh, we want to include equity as a part of our strategy, or we want to establish stronger partnerships with like organizations within our community, or we want to be able to influence health policy or whatever mm-hmm. they become motivated to do as a result of these events and the, the things they learn during it. I think your, your framework and the organizations that are using this framework can definitely be a great source of information to help those organizations get, get going on it. And that's why I brought you on. And, and so that's my call to action, but I know you've got some things coming up um, in, in the July timeframe and uh, to, towards the end of fall. So you, a lot of activity goes on with the community of excellence uh, between July and the end of the year. So I want you to kind of share your call to action and what some of the things you hope happens as a result of this episode. Well, um, thank you for that. Um, I guess our, our most immediate kind of opportunity and my call to action um, request to you all is that um, our upcoming learning collaborative cohort would begin begins in October. Um, we are still looking for, we take up to six communities. We're looking for uh, two or three more to join us right now. And um, we'd love to have um, any interested communities or leaders in communities that want to think through how they could adopt this in their community reach out. Um, we also are starting our assessment and recognition program. Um, my, my call for examiners is July 1st to August 1st. And so that's the time frame where if you're interested in being a volunteer examiner for us, um, you would apply and there's information on my website. Um, and I would just say the bigger, the bigger call to action here though, is just, um, is, is just thinking about what, what kind of um, community, you know, what kind of leaders are you and do you have in your community and, and, and sort of how do you role model the type of behavior and the, and the type of community that you want to be a part of? Um, and that, I mean, to me, that's just, that's such a big part of this is that we're, we're trying to build a culture. We're trying to build a new culture. And like you said, with, um, you know, a new normal, normal wasn't in a lot of cases that very good. And so, um, I think we all have this real opportunity to sort of envision what an excellent community really looks like and help be a part of a culture that, that leads that leads towards that and, and engages young people to be involved in that. And so that's sort of the bigger call to action, I would say. Yeah. It's somewhat of like a return to your roots with IHI wants, uh, wants an, an individual discovered something that, they thought needed to be changed. It was one voice that really caused a lot of momentum and in, in the movement. And I think people listening to this, if they're thinking, I, I'm one person, what can I do? 
let, let's reflect about IHI. Yeah, there was researchers and individuals who discovered the issue, but it was one person who stood in front of an audience and challenged them to save 100,000 lives in one year. Mm-hmm. One person can, if they are willing to stand up and create a movement, can. And I hope what you were saying right there is create that vision and be that person who stands up for the future community you want to see be created. And oh, that be, that gives me chills. And uh, yes. thank you for coming on the episode and, and leaving us with that challenge. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks.